what is honey? Now, honey 50 years ago is not the honey today. Right. So the bee population is going down. They put the bees out into the uh, orchards and they don't return. So the beekeepers are putting them in factory style um, manufacturing for honey. What are they feeding the bees? High fructose corn syrup. Bees do not eat high fructose corn syrup unless that's the only thing for dinner. And they're going to make honey that's not the same honey as naturally occurring. So that's so when we have to define these words very specifically. Now most people think the table sugar, which is sucrose, which is which is fructose and glucose. So glucose is not sweet. People don't crave glucose. They crave fructose because it's sweet. So food manufacturers say, wow, we'll give them more fructose. Well, the biochemistry of a nerve can't process fructose more than 10%, and our diets are 90% now. So how does that work? It doesn't. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. On this week's episode, we have Dr. Richard Jacoby on our podcast. And Dr. Richard Jacoby is a physician, a practicing physician. He works with uh, patients from all over within the field of regenerative medicine. So this is what is so exciting for me is to have him on the show because you get to hear it directly from his mouth, the fact that food is medicine, medicine heals. And if you're looking for other ways to reverse your chronic diseases, really look no further because food is the answer. If you just wanna get rid of the symptoms, of course, there's a million drugs and a million surgeries that you can undergo, but what really restores the body to optimum health is food. So you get to hear it firsthand from him. Now, Dr. Jacoby is a leading foot and ankle specialist and the medical director of Extremity Health Centers in Scottsdale, Arizona. His specialty includes treatment of peripheral neuropathy which is an extremely difficult diagnosis to treat, but he's able to do wonders in that field. He has won the Phoenix Magazine Top Docs Award four separate times over the past 10 years. And he's also the co-author of the book, Sugar Crush, How to Reduce Inflammation, Reverse Nerve Damage and Reclaim Good Health. Now, this is amazing because of the fact that depending on which doctor you talk to, many will say that you cannot reverse nerve damage and that is further from the truth. So you get to hear it from Dr. Jacoby himself as he teaches you and walks through through how you do this. Now, with the COVID outbreak, of course, in the shutdown of America and North America and the globe in general, his message is more important than ever that you listen up, you hear what he has to say, and you start putting in it into practice today. Because without using diet as your first defense and your first treatment for good optimal health, really all of these conditions just continue to get worse despite the surgeries, despite the medications, despite all of the treatments. So we are so happy to have Dr. Jacoby on our podcast to share this with you. 
Now, before we dive into this incredible podcast, which we did have to get cut short because he is a busy doctor and he had to get back into um, see his patients, uh, you know, let's uh, dive into what is happening in our world right now. So if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I want you to know that we have an exciting campaign underway. It's a 10-year endeavor being kicked off by having me run and bike across Canada as part of our 22 million strong tour. Now I'm doing this to raise awareness about the fact that food is medicine. Along the tour across Canada, which is a total of 7,120 kilometers, that is a long way, I am going to be stopping and meeting with several community leaders. I'll be meeting with Indigenous communities, BIPOC communities, so Black, Indigenous, people of colour. We're going to be discussing the barriers to accessing clean, real food, the exact same food that Dr. Jacoby is talking about on this podcast that we all need to be eating in abundance if we are going to truly have any success in turning this chronic disease epidemic around. What do I mean by chronic disease? I'm talking about the infertility, autoimmune disorders, cancers, diabetes, heart disease, multiple sclerosis, I mean, there's so many different autoimmune, autoimmune disorders that have these different names like diabetes and multiple sclerosis, but the list is long, scleroderma, um, psoriasis, eczema, all of these conditions that are plaguing our society. So on this tour, we are going to be meeting with community members so that they can identify what are the limitations and the barriers to being able to access clean, real food so people can start to eat well again. And it's not just well, it's exceptionally well. It's where the food is organic. It's predominantly plant-based. It's filled with nutrients. So it's nutrient-dense and low on toxicity because of the fact that we need to reverse those two conditions nutrient deficiency and toxicity. Once we reverse that in our bodies, our bodies are able to regenerate and heal. But also what's really cool about that is that when people reverse those two conditions in their body, toxicity and deficiency, they then go on to wanna to nutrify the world. They wanna protect the soils, protect the waters, protect the air, protect all of these systems that we are part of to make sure that they are not toxic. This is when people start wanting to, you know, buy organic food from farms that are engaged in regenerative agriculture. So rebuilding their soils so that the nutrients are transferred into our foods. It's one complete system that we live in. And it's amazing when people take care of their health, then they want to take care of the planet. And that is what we are all about. So join us on our 22 million strong tour. You can sponsor our event, donate to event, come ride and run with me, join our 22 million strong training team. And you can learn all about how this mama workaholic mama entrepreneur was able to remove herself from behind her desk and get out there and actually start running and biking hundreds of kilometers um, and really getting myself properly trained nutrified, nourished so that I can get across Canada injury-free and with love, with vibrancy, with energy, and also have fun doing it. So if I can do it, you can do it. So sign up for our 22 Million Strong Training Tribe and consider donating to this amazing campaign um, to help 22 million people learn about how they can reverse their diagnosed chronic diseases. So without further ado, let's jump back into the show with Dr. Jacoby. 
so he can teach you all about regenerative health and regenerative medicine. See you at the end. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and on today's show, we have Dr. Richard Jacoby on our show. Welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Happy to be here. Very happy to have you here. So as we dive into the show, one of the things I was, we were just talking about before we started recording is this uh, concept of sugar. And sugar is an interesting concept because we have many people who are anti-sugar, afraid of sugar. And so we are going to be diving into that. But within the context of how does that apply to the work that you do in podiatry? Well, uh, sugar is fundamental to the disease process of diabetes, in my opinion. And you're right, sugar is not a sugar. There are lots of different sugars naturally occurring. And the biggest sugar in the United States is high fructose corn syrup. So I think that is the culprit. And uh, so we got to get down in the weeds on that one. And what do human beings eat? And what did they eat? What makes us human? And we can go through all those factors. And I don't want to get too far into biochemistry, but to answer the question, we really do need to get into the biochemistry. And we have to get into the biochemistry, especially in relationship to the work you're doing, because you have a specialty, and that is helping people overcome nerve damage. You probably see that a lot with the diabetes rates being so high in North America. And, you know, for our listeners out there, I'm sure you know someone in your immediate family right now that's been diagnosed with either pre-diabetic or with type 2 diabetes or even type 1 diabetes. And the side effect, the symptoms of that are often amputation, the worst possible um, thing to have to go through for a lot of people for a disease that is very preventable. So in your case, um, Richard, it's, you know, regenerating nerves is something that a lot of people still believe can't even happen. So can you talk about that in relationship to the work you do? And dive well, to the biochemistry for sure, because people need to understand how this actually works. Well, yes, and it was, a, it was a quest on my part because I, let's go back to 1981 That's when I first started thinking of this. So I was practicing traditional podiatric medicine here in the United States. My practice was essentially around diabetics, uh, diabetic neuropathy in particular. So I ran the wound care center at our hospital. So the traditional treatment back in those days and still to, to this day is a lot of amputations for sure, because most people let it go so long, they lose their sensation, they get an ulcer, turns into osteomyelitis, gangrene and amputation. 100,000 a year, every year in the United States. So it's been going on forever, the prevalence is increasing. So let's go back to 1981, I was asked to go to Taiwan uh, to answer the question, why were they getting diabetes? So uh, Dr. Luke Chu, who was also a four-star general, asked me to come over there and I did. And I toured the country and I went to all their clinics and I established their clinics back in those days. The question was, why do we have diabetes? So the prevalence of diabetes in Taiwan in 1981 was rather low. And the first question I asked Dr. True was, 
what's the Mandarin word for diabetes? And essentially they use the word diabetes, which to me means they really didn't have it in their culture. So from that point, we looked at their, their diet, we looked at their clinics, and to me, they weren't seeing a lot of diabetics compared to the United States. And, it, and after three years of going in and out of Taiwan and specifically Taipei, I said, it's your diet. And the first fast food restaurant in Taipei was 1979. And in 1981, they noticed a change. I thought it was the hamburger and the bun, but it really wasn't. And I, I, and I just read this information actually yesterday by Dr. Robert Lustig. I don't know if you know that name. He, he wrote Fat Chance. Yes. And he's an endocrinologist, pediatric. And they did a study. It's an amazing study going back 30 years, multiple different countries, took the cash register of fast food restaurants. And by using Cox regression analysis, which means like you're handicapping which one of those things in a fast food restaurant was the biggest problem for diabetics. And the answer is the soda, the, the drinks. So it wasn't the meat, it wasn't the bread, it wasn't the french fries. It was the sodas, and that's strictly sugar. And which sugar? High fructose corn syrup starting in 1974. So we put a context. Obviously, glucose has been around for a couple million years, maybe billions of years, right? So human beings, they, if we, and this is where you get a lot of controversy, if we evolve from apes, apes don't eat fat, they don't eat protein, they eat carbohydrates, lots of it. Okay. But we're not gorillas, we're human beings. And we can't process vitamin C, by the way, of the only primates. So that gets into biochemistry. What's different? What happened to us over time, three million years from when Lucy was discovered? And if you believe that is the first primate for human beings, then you have to accept that as a premise. And I went to Dr. Johansson, Don Johansson, who was the discoverer of Lucy. And they felt that the change in diet three million years ago from a carbohydrate diet to a, a bug-based diet and protein and fat. And we lost our rib cage, shorter alimentary canal, which meaning we had to get that type of food in and out of our system in 24 hours. We didn't have all day to chew on bamboo. And here we are today. Larger brain, prefrontal lobe, we can use our hands, we can make our own decisions, we can blow up the planet if we want. But fundamentally, we went from a carb diet to a protein fat diet. Then 10,000 years ago, the rich started to eat sugar again in a form of honey. But the peasants did not have the wherewithal or the money to do that. Spin it back up to 1492 for our country in the US, Columbus discovered America, discovered that there was sugar here, exported it back to Europe. In the 1600s, sugar was $1,000 a pound in England. The only the rich were eating it, and that's when all these diseases started. 
And then now in 1974, high fructose corn syrup, 80% of all the food in the United States has that in it. And 98% of all the meat has high fructose corn syrup in the meat products that we have as well. It's sugar and it's a high fructose corn syrup. So that's the three million year capsulized uh, history of that. I love that you're a historian as well, because it's really important to understand the context of everything, because everybody is so quick to assume that um, without understanding everything in the context of history, that sometimes, you know, people are looking at the current research that is coming out right now. And, you know, there's a lot of wild claims, for example, around keto and high fat, high protein diets and no carb diets or high carb diets and, you know, everything in between. So it's really important to, for people to understand that we need to look across history, we need to look at mass population studies, and then we also need to look at, you know, the double blind placebo clinical trials, as well as, you know, another type of research that's often done is the systemic reviews as well. So we get to look at multiple research studies that are all taken into the same context. So um, I love the historian aspect and that side of yourself because people need to understand. So when we're also talking about sugar as well, people need to understand sugar is prevalent in every single food that you eat, right? It sure. is prevalent. So you're really talking about the high fructose corn syrup, the refined super processed sugar is what has contributed to these illnesses. Correct. Right. And, and for anybody who is afraid of sugar, would the same thing happen if we were consuming, for example, honey a little bit in the day or a honey a lot in the day? Does it even matter at this point? Well, I, I did a deep dive on honey in particular because they, what is honey? Now, honey 50 years ago is not the honey today. Right. So the bee population is going down. They put the bees out into the uh, orchards and they don't return. So the beekeepers are putting them in factory style um, manufacturing for honey. What are they feeding the bees? High fructose corn syrup. Right. Bees do not eat high fructose corn syrup unless that's the only thing for dinner. And they're going to make honey that's not the same honey is naturally occurring. So that's, so when we have to define these words very specifically. Now, most people think the table sugar, which is sucrose, which is, which is fructose and glucose. So glucose is not sweet. People don't crave glucose. They crave fructose because it's sweet. So food manufacturers say, wow, we'll give them more fructose. Well, the biochemistry of a nerve can't process fructose more than 10%, and our diets are 90% now. So how does that work? It doesn't. So now let's spin back to why I get obsessed with this. This is kind of interesting. So my world is diabetic neuropathy, ulcerations, amputations, all that sort of thing. And uh, Professor um, Dellen, Lee Dellen from Johns Hopkins, was visiting and gave a lecture on his novel approach to that disease. Now he's a professor of plastic surgery and neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins. He's written all the articles, he's number one, 700 articles peer reviewed, uh, two textbooks, probably 75 chapters. He's the guy. So in the 80s, 
a patient of his said to him, you fixed my carpal tunnel, why don't you fix my diabetic neuropathy? And he said, that's a different disease. Then he thought about it, went to the laboratory, and I won't belabor all these studies, but they're fabulous, and found the tunnels in the lower extremity, applied carpal tunnel release to the lower extremity, and yes, the feeling returned because diabetic polyneuropathy in contradistinction to what is known by neurology and big pharma is a nerve compression, just like this. And just give you a, a data point, in the 60s, 1960s, there were 12 reported cases of carpal tunnel in the literature. Last year in the United States alone, there were 800,000 surgeries. Uh, you tell me that's a genetic disease? No. Epigenetic? Yes. Cause sugar, overloading the nervous system. Originally, when I wrote the book, I call it the nerve of it. And the, what I meant was the nerve of the our USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, to tell us the, the food pyramid, which has eight to 11 helpings of carbohydrates on the bottom, not the carbohydrates, amber wheat, if you read wheat belly, einhorn wheat, that sort of thing. That's a different wheat. This is manufactured. It's grown differently. It's hybrid. We can't, we can't assimilate that without inflammation. So Dr. Dellen taught me the surgery. I brought it back to Scottsdale in the year 2000 at the wound care center. I've done thousands of those cases and they worked. So one day I said to Dr. Dellen, I think there's more to your theory. Well, he didn't take that nicely. He said, why don't you figure it out? He's the world's leading authority. And I said, okay, I'm gonna read outside the box that what I would normally read. I found a article by Dr. John Cook at Stanford, who is a cardiologist by training. He's got a PhD in vascular biology, studies one molecule, asymmetric dimethyl arginine. And he called it the Uber marker. So of course I text him. And I said, hey, Dr. Cook, you got a great theory. Dr. Dellen's got a great theory. And I think they have something to do with each other. He called me on the phone two hours after I texted. Love your idea. I'm speeding the story up. Went up to Stanford, used his molecule on my patients and found a connection of not only carpal tunnel, ulnar tunnel, diabetic neuropathy, MS, ALS, you name it. With the biochemical portion of this, and it wasn't proven. So Dr. Cook said, come up to Stanford, why don't you just work with me full time? Well, my kids were young, I couldn't do that. Dr. Dellen said, go to Johns Hopkins, work with me. And I said, no, I'll write a book. That's what Sugar Crush is about. It's the nerve of all these diseases, I think purposely caused, causing these inflammations I call itises throughout the body that we call different diseases. They're all the same disease. Yeah. It's, it's an accident like happening at the intersection of this street or that street. You don't call them different diseases. It's accidents. It's yeah. the location of the accident in the tissue that it's inflamed. Psoriasis is the skin. MS is vagus nerve. Even autism, which is a hypoglossal nerve, in my opinion, I can go on and on, and I do go on and on and on. So let me give you the platform back and get me specific. Well, 
I'll just, so I just want to share what's happening within me is that um, as you express all of this, because of the fact that I teach specifically the Gerson therapy, yes. which is plant-based, whole food, unrefined food. There's, you know, there's not a lot of the wheat products that we see in even the whole wheat, even if it was the whole grain um, in it, not because we are worried that people are gluten intolerant because we don't actually buy into that, that, um, that concept because a lot of the research actually proves otherwise that most people can handle uh, gluten to some extent. And so it really is just a plant-based whole food diet no refined products whatsoever. And what we see is that, you know, our clients heal um, from all of these diseases. But what I love about your story is that you remind me very much of Dr. Max Gerson himself and his journey and being, you know, a well-trained medical doctor, but then having the light bulbs go off and not being afraid to go down the route and question a lot of these things, even though he wasn't necessarily an expert in migraines, an expert in tuberculosis, an expert later on in cancer and diabetes and all the other illnesses that he treated. But from the other side too, is that he did see um, when he was looking at all of these diseases, he eventually saw how this one diet could heal all of these diseases. And so it, therefore it's a non-specific therapy and it was a concept of totality. So just exactly like you said, in one person, it might show up as carpal tunnel syndrome and another person, it might show up as MS. But at the end of the day, it's actually the same mechanisms of action happening as a result of a very refined processed food diet is really what he saw. Perfect. So we had the, that's the common ground we have here in this conversation. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Now, I asked that question of Don Johansson. I went to New York. He invited me to a, a conference, which you would have loved. And the question was, what did Lucy eat right. 3 million years ago? Yes, what did And they, they have the science, and it's mind boggling, the science. Um, they can tell by a protein in your tooth and the dentine, it's a protein is put down every day. You can tell what Lucy ate 3 million years ago, what she had for her last meal. Is that specific? Uh, so I did learn a lot from, from him, but you would have to buy the fact that Lucy is our primary ancestor. A lot of people don't. That's Darwinism. And there's other theories. And I'm not sure which one is the right theory, but I think they're probably all have some validity. Um, but I do agree, whole foods, that's what human beings ate. They ate what they could. And we have the capability to eat anything as long as natural but we have been pushed into a synthetic food pyramid, so to speak. And we have all these itises. So what does modern medicine do? And I do the same thing when I was you know, 20 years ago. You either cut it out with an ectomy. If it's a gallbladder, just cut it out. If your appendix, cut it out. If it's your knee, take it out. These are ectomies, cholecystectomy, arthrectomy. That's what I do for a living ectomies. And then on the other side, for the medical treatment, it's an anti-inflammatory. If you have psoriasis, you take that. And the biggest thing today is monoclonal antibodies. Why? Because that's where the money is. Yeah. So you have an inflamed person, you know how that works. You take, somebody has rheumatoid arthritis, you take their serum, you stick it into mice, you grow them, get their antibodies, turn it into a medication, 
and say, keep eating the, whatever you're eating and here's your medicine because somebody else is paying for it. If they were paying for it themselves, number one, they wouldn't be able to afford it and they would do what you just said, Dr. Gerson's diet. Okay. I mean, it's that simple. So that brings up, my heart is like breaking in a way for you, which it shouldn't be, you know, we never want to feel bad for anybody, but what is this like for you to have this knowledge and to be within the system? And obviously, you know, you have a life and you need to support your life financially. And here you have patients coming in and, you know, how are you able to balance this knowledge in the context of the work that you do? Like, do you find you're able to make traction with your patients and how do you do that? Because I've attended many physicians conferences where, you know, these physicians, a thousand of them in the room, listening to other physicians and researchers and scientists present this exact information that you and I both know. And then I have conversations with them over lunch and they're actually, they're, they're afraid they don't know how to share this information with their patients. And so do you have any, you know, tips and tricks that you engage in that you've seen are successful? Uh, it's, you know, it's an absolute nightmare. Because the system here is predicated on big pharma. So anything we say against that creates a lot of controversy. I don't get invited to the University of Morton's anymore. Right. You know what the University of Morton's postgraduate education? No. That's Morton's Steakhouse. That's where big pharma takes you and gives you indoctrination, not education, right. on all these drugs. Now, I'm not totally anti-drug. I mean, we need them at, at times, course, but you need yeah. to know the truth first. And then, and I realize it's hard for people to get off of these habits, especially when they were told 50, 60 years ago, the food pyramid was correct when it was an absolute lie. You know, the history of Ansel Keys and all that sort. So I don't have to go through that, but we were I say educated into ignorance. And so were the doctors yeah. because it takes 10 minutes. What hurts? Oh, I have, I have migraines here, take this, I'll see you in a month. That's modern medicine. Yeah. To sit and have this conversation, we don't get paid for it. And, we're, and we sound like we have a tin hat because everybody else is thinking the other way. And I know the truth. And I know allopathic medicine is or better than probably most people because I'm obsessed on protecting this information and, and articulating it. And the biochemical pathway to diabetic neuropathy and all the other itises is a very, very well-researched um, body of knowledge. There's literally tens of thousands of articles on what I'm saying. I just boiled it down to connect the dots. So my present practice deals more in the epigenetics of this. So I don't have to say you're wrong and you're right. So, hey, you got genes and maybe you're misinformed as we all were and you express those genes and we call them an itis, but it's reversible with food. Just try a little bit and you'll see the improvement now we have stem cells too. Now stem cells is the new frontier. And I, you're, in, you're in Canada, right? Yes. Yeah, and you have very restrictive laws against that. Yes. And why is that? Because it works. <laughs> it absolutely works. 
on any itis. It doesn't matter what the itis is. So I'm very well in, informed and immersed into regenerative medicine, which is basically stem cells, whether it's uh, allogenic or it's uh, bone-derived uh, allogenic or uh, whether you take it from uh, fat-derived, bone-derived. But in the United States, most chronic diseases are over age 50. Mm -hmm. So taking your own bone marrow, aspirate or fat, you're getting less good stem cells than if you took perinatal tissue. So that's a whole other uh, conversation. So, but, so before we go on here, I just want our audience to understand how does the science of stem cell therapy work in regenerative medicine? Because people need to know their own body is creating stem cells every single day, but how does it actually work? Well, in a simple, in a simple sentence, stem cells work through the paracrine system. So most people know what the endocrine system is. The uh, but in that subatomic world, basically, you have exosomes, which are the nanoparticles of these stem cells. So let me go back to the beginning. So when you're born, you're, you're, the fetus is immunologically sheltered between the mother and by the umbilical cord. Otherwise, it would be a foreign body. So they're immunologically privileged cells. Now, you got to make the first distinction. Embryonic stem cells, not what we're talking about. We are not allowed to use those in the United States, and I don't think you're allowed to use them in Canada as well. But a lot of countries you can. Are they better? Yes, in a lot of respects they are. There's an ethical issue, and there's a, some a, a genetic issue, because you can get some bad genes and grow some things you don't want to grow. So let's talk about just non-embryonic stem cell, perinatal tissue at time of birth, the placenta, the amniotic fluid, the umbilical cord, and that stuff is called Wharton's jelly. They all have very good regenerative powers. In two words, they're anti-inflammatory and anti-fibritic. That's how they work. So they reduce the inflammation, reset the genes, and if you're not too far along the spectrum where everything is scarred down, and it's going to work. Now, I use everything in my diabetics. If it's early stage, the only thing you need to do is change your diet. If it's, and I put them in five phases. And you say that last part one time for everybody to hear very quickly. So. If, if it's early stage. Early stage. So I put, I'm talking about diabetic neuropathy, but it applies to all these itises. Yeah. Phase one, let's just talk about diabetic neuropathy. Phase one is get these zingers. They come and they go. Phase one. What is that? And it has a word for it. I love this word. And it probably translates well in Canadian speak as well, English. The word is formication. That's the word for the zinger. And I looked this up. I, didn't, I never heard that word. I said, did I hear that right? It's with an M, not an N. Formication. Comes with the word ants biting. Yeah. And formic acid is why, why you feel that. And that's where the word came from. So you have a little zinger, like, what the hell was that? That's the axon, the very smallest nerve dying back. And you feel it. And it goes up to your brain. And 
that's phase one. Phase two, those formications are happening more frequently and more intensely. Phase three, it's all the time. That's when you go to the doctor for the most part. Why am I getting this? Do a nerve conduction test? Oh, you have diabetic neuropathy. Here's your Lyrica, here's your gabapentin, here's all, all this stuff. Does it work? Well, it works in the brain so you don't feel the formications. What should be said is change your diet, number one. Otherwise, it's gonna to progress to phase four. Well, I hear this every day. Well, doctor, you're, you're not getting this right. This gabapentin is working. I said, no, it's not. You're having less pain, more numbness, and you're gonna hit phase five and you have no feeling, and then you're gonna get an ulcer, then you're gonna get an amputation. If that's working, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. But I very difficult to, to convince people that their traditional treatment is wrong. It really is wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, do I use gabapentin? Yes, because it is painful, but I'm telling you, this is a, this is a Band-Aid. You gotta change your diet. You're gonna go into amputation, 100,000 a year. And I love that, um you know, number one, you understand how diet plays a role. So you're able to support your patients. And, you know, we don't do this work and assuming that every single person who comes through the door is going to go out there and change their diet, right? We, we get that that's not going to happen. I so we say have most to, of them don't. And most of them don't, but some do. And it's the people that go on and do that and actually show that these diseases are reversible, that I'm just in awe of the people who take their health into their own hands that way. So, and then going back to what you said earlier, Dr. Gerson wasn't against medications. He wasn't against chemo surgery, you know, and all of these things and other drugs, but we knew that we needed them in the interim. Obviously we don't want people to be in such severe chronic pain that they can't go to work and can't function and can't stand up in the kitchen and cook their foods. So there is a role for drugs, but they're actually, you know, if we can combine that and educate people on how to eat well and get them started, because they can literally start from the next meal. It's not like they have to wait months to learn cooking skills and all of that. It's as simple as learning how to, you know, cook a few things on the stove without using all the other processed stuff. So it is quite easy for people to do as well. Um, but I just want people to know that because sometimes people think it's like an all or nothing and it doesn't have to be that way, but it is important for people to understand that they do need to get into the kitchen and start engaging in eating and enjoying and liking real food. Um, and that the drug is only there temporarily. Right. Right. Okay. So let's move on to the next stage. So definitely in getting to the work that you do, but jump in so wherever you want to jump in. <laughs> I only have a couple of minutes. I realized because we got started so late, I still have seeing patients. Oh, yes. We might have to do a second deep dive on how to do it. And because I did want to talk about the biochemistry of the three known, uh, how sugar does it biochemically. Right. For your audience to know. Number one, the polyol pathway. And what does that mean? That's when the, the, the sugar inside the nerve turns into sorbitol. That causes the nerve to pull in water and swells the nerve. Number two, the Maillard reaction. And I think you're butchering the, it's a French word. It's a cooking word. It's the Brownie effect. Maillard, I think you pronounce it. So that's sugar plus a protein, which causes the collagen, the soft tissue, like let's talk about the carpal tunnel. So the tunnel is getting smaller 
by the Maillard reaction? Well, the nerve inside of it is swelling. I would call that compression. Yeah. Okay. And it's reversible. And the third pathway is what I worked with Dr. Cook at Stanford on the asymmetric dimethyl arginine. That blocks the blood supply to the nerve. So those three biochemical pathways are absolutely the cause of these compression neuropathies and they occur throughout the body. And they are reversible. Sooner you understand that, the better you're going to be. If you wanna stay on the medicines, you will go on to an amputation, unless you die of a cardiovascular event first, which most people do. Same disease, difference, and we, we could talk about that as well. And, um, but I don't have enough time to get deep into this. So, and they're yelling at me coming from the door there on the other side. You can see them over there? No, I can't see them, but oh, they're, they're I can imagine they're like, come they're on. They're gone. Yes, exactly. Okay, so, you know, to, to close this up, what are the one, I would say the three biggest, you know, tips that you want to share with a patient? So any person who's listening to this with a patient, and then also maybe one tip that you would like to share with other physicians regarding this information and the work that you do? Well, I, I, number one is diet, not just lip service to it. You, you have to say that your disease is caused by one thing, it's your diet. Now, what is particularly in that diet that needs more investigation, but I think it's sugar and it's high fructose corn, which is artificial food. Yes. That's number one. And if they, grasp that concept, all these itises that we talked about will start to look, if you get exterior to the problem, it's pretty obvious. Right. And but, then a tip for uh, other physicians, because we do train physicians, they are listening to this podcast. So what information would you have for a, let's say a newly minted doctor who's graduated from med school, who hasn't been exposed to the world of nutrition and they're entering to the world of all these itises and they're gonna be overwhelmed because this is not, they wanted to help people and they realize they're just prescribing drugs and doing surgeries. What is a tip for them? They absolutely don't wanna hear what I say. Absolutely. They are so indoctrinated. I'm speaking, you have to remember, this is like a 12-year journey. And I'm saying something totally different than what they were told. And they have to take their board exams. Yeah. My questions aren't on there. Nope. So I look like I got a tin hat. However, when a physician gets these itises, they're all ears. Because they know their traditional stuff does not work. Now they're receptor, but that's about four years later. Well, we are going to share your book in the show notes and make sure that everybody absolutely knows about that. That's a good place for anybody to start is to read your book, get this information. We're going to break down exactly what you said so people can Google all the different concepts that you were talking about, which, like you said earlier, is backed up by tons and tons and tons of science and not just recently like this science goes back for a hundred plus years and so well, it's on a warburg he got the nobel prize in the 30s for cancer this is the same concept it's fructose yes 
exactly. And so we'll share that in there as well. And then what we're going to do is have you back for part two, because we do need to dive into um, understanding the stem cell therapy and the science behind that a little bit more as well, because we can also activate that um, in our body as well, in a healthy body oh. with the right diet, right? Yep. Yeah, so we want to dive into that so people really understand that because so many people are looking to stem cell transplants as the ultimate end-all be-all answer when in fact, if you're doing it in a body that's not eating well, you're probably going to be back in the doctor's office, you know, for something else. I have, a, I have a great, I think, concept on that because you're wasting your money. It's like pouring the, the foam to put the fire out with stem cells while you're eating gasoline. I mean, you're just going to waste your money and say, well, stem cells don't work. They absolutely, absolutely work yeah. if you do the right diet. Exactly. Because we have to keep the environment of those stem cells in the body in a very healthy, healthy way. And then yes. magic can happen truly. I mean, it's just science and magic and biology that's happening. So um, we are going to wrap up here so you can get back to doing the really important work that you do in saving people's limbs and regenerating their nerves and helping them that way. So I want to thank you for being on our show and uh, we are going to have you back for round two. And for everybody who's listening, all the show notes are going to be below. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. How did you like that podcast? I personally was blown away by everything that uh, Dr. Jacoby was sharing by the fact that he was so honest and truthful in what he was sharing as well. Uh, to, to, for the fact for him, for the fact that he is a medical doctor who's willing to stand up and really stand up against the system that did not teach him that food is medicine, to stand up against the system that continuously wants to just treat people with drugs, with surgery, without even asking people what they ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or how much water they drank, or how is their sleeping. You know, the fact that he's up there and he is trying to educate his patients on how to do that and is getting success in that field, it really requires not just a round of applause for him, but truly, if I had seen him in person, if it wasn't COVID, I'd be giving him one of the world's biggest hugs on behalf of all of us on the planet who know that food is medicine to just thank him for being a leader out there and doing this work. So if you are listening to this, thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Richard Jacoby for the work that you do and for inspiring others to take their health into their own hands and turn their health around so they can realize the best version of themselves. So if you are someone out there who is battling a chronic illness and you want to learn the art and science of using food as medicine, please head over to our websites, either nicoletteriche.com or uh, richerhealth.ca or 22millionstrong.ca and you can book a consultation with myself where I will teach you the art and science of using food as medicine. And of course, if you are suffering from an advanced disease, cancer, you are um, you know, potentially facing having a leg or an arm amputated as a result of your type two diabetes or any other condition that you're battling, please reach out to me because I can definitely set you up with all the right people, help you build a whole health team that is gonna be standing behind you and alongside of you, rooting you along so that you can get the health results that you want that don't have to end up in further chronic pain further dependence on medications and so on. So love to help you out, love to help you regain control of your health. 
and realize the best version of yourself. So thanks everyone for being here with me, listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eat Real to Heal next week on this show. Bye for now.